told me when I was in pigtails. My mama told me a man's gonna sweet talk and give you the big eyes. But when the sweet talk. Good evening, late nighters. I know it's been a interesting couple of weeks coming off of everything that we've been going through with inflation, with the battle in Ukraine still continuing, with the January 6th committee still in progress, with the heat, gas prices, and of course our SCOTUS having some recalibrating of the Constitution. But we're not going to dwell on that tonight because you are trying to ease down and the purpose of this podcast is to help you do that. And so I had an email the other day that was asking, you don't really talk about um, some of the more topical things that are going on in detail. And the reason is because like all of you late nighters, you're already overthinking. You're already overtaxed that brain. You're already heartbroken, depending on how life, you know, is going. And so I don't want to be a source of added misery, even if the it opens up a discourse that could be helpful. I want to take us away for 25 minutes. And we do that together through literature through thinking about written texts and, um, you know, using our imaginations to kind of use that literary bit to, um, as our lens for topics that really are um, right now in, in present tense, but mm, maybe not as politically laden as some would like. I think my views are pretty um, open. I'm not very nuanced about that. I consider myself a libtard, a snowflake, all of those things. Um, But in the same vein, um, you know, I know a lot of people who aren't. And I don't want to excoriate them without a platform that allows for a give and take. So that's why sometimes it appears to be that I'm not as um, vocal as one would like. And it's just, it's late. It's late at night. <laughs> I probably could do a podcast like that where I had people on. We had a round table, kind of Bill Maher style, but mm, that's not my want. Everything now at this age is about first loves. And I love literature. And that's what I enjoy speaking of and breaking apart and analyzing much more so than politics. So tonight, I want to talk to you about advice. We've all gotten it. (laughs) Solicited and unsolicited. And depending on who's given it, depending on where you are, in your life when you're receiving it, it could be painful. Even good advice, because 
good advice may urge you to make changes that are painful. Good advice may mean investing yourself in ways you hadn't anticipated or divesting in yourself and others in ways you hadn't anticipated. But advice, you know, we all come to a point in our life where we've ticked off the boxes, right? All of the good advice we've gotten, all of the rotten advice we've gotten. And um, I think hopefully for most of us, we've gotten some good advice. We've gotten some really sound words of wisdom, maybe from our parents, um, the initial arbiters of advice, you know, go to school to learn, um, you know, make sure you're prepared, be on time, you know, all that good advice that mom and dads meet out to children and is taken or not taken, but eventually come around to, right, if you are fortunate enough to live long enough. Um, and I know I like some of my mom's little quotes and axioms, um, and they still resonate with me today. Um, and now I'm old enough that she has some of my axioms that she uses. So, you know, um, life is around and around, exactly what it is. But if you've read wildly, uh, widely, and, and many of you have, um, that's why you listen to this podcast, because of its literary um, focus, you have encountered some really moving, good advice. And you may have encountered examples of really bad advice. For instance, in The Color Purple, when Celie tells um, Harpo to beat his wife. Ugh. But it's all Celie knows. It's the only thing as a woman that she's experienced from her husband uh, when it comes to control and communication is to be beaten into submission, not voluntarily go into it. So I think you have to read that very carefully and with the intent of Walker's education for Celie, like Celie has to begin to break this concept of her own domination and subjugation. And so the advice she gives to Harpo is terrible, but it's essential to the plot and it's, its development and to her growth. And so hopefully the reader, you know, understands that. But um, so today I just want to share with you some good advice from literature. Because, guys, it's rough out here. And we need crutches that we can fall on that aren't going to demean us or let us down or judge us. And when you think about all the good things that you've read and taken in, it should also be a source of, like, wealth for you, like change in your pocket. A person who's illiterate and unread has a dollar. A person that's read and has embraced the literature, has 10 bucks at all times in their pocket. That's my analogy. So I just want to share with you um, some good advice that's out there in literature. Um, and I want to remind us that when people give advice in our lives, we have to look at the person from whom we're seeking it. You cannot ask a person who's been divorced multiple times about marriage. 
You cannot ask somebody who's promiscuous about fidelity. You cannot ask someone who's bankrupt about, you know, saving your pennies and penny pinching. You have to kind of have discernment of your own before you seek advice. But there is going to come a time in our lives for all of us when we cannot see our way and we need strong, good advice. So keep it in mind that our earliest advice came from fables and, you know, the folklore of our African and, and European ancestors, our Asian ancestors, words passed down, words that were so good and it's so advisory that they stuck in the hearts until they were written down. Um, I just want to share with you some good advice, some good advice, and hopefully it will outlive the bad advice that you've gotten. An old Malagasy proverb reads, Advice is a stranger. If he's welcome, he stays for the night. If he's not, he leaves the same day. So how we take advice is on us. If we nurture it and take it and run with it and use it, then it should hold us well. However, if we reject it, then we've lost that salient truth. But there are other truths to be found out there. So one of my favorite pieces of advice, and you know, she's my hero, Shiro, comes from Toni Morrison. And it is, if you want to fly, you got to give up the shit that weighs you down. And I can't think of a more poignant piece of advice because we think of flight as getting my education um getting uh, a new car getting a house getting uh, a raise at the job or starting your own business or going on a vacation that seems impossible there's going to be some weight there because unfortunately most of us have more naysayers than we do cheerleaders. We've talked about this before, overcoming our haters, right? And so when you get a good piece of advice, like, you know what? You're going to have to let some things go if you're going to get as high as you can to the sky, right? You don't want to be like Icarus and get too close and, and lose everything, your very life. But we all want to touch the sky just a little bit. And that means giving up things that um, are impediments to, to doing that. And like everything in life, there is a cost. There is a cost. And the cost is giving up things that weigh us down. You can't get any better than Toni Morrison when it comes to advice. She's just the queen of literary chops and wisdom. But another one comes from Atonement by Ian McEwen. And it's a simple truth of what we are as humans. And it reads, it wasn't only wickedness and scheming that made people unhappy. It was confusion and misunderstanding and misunderstanding. This idea that, you know, 
that we're not all alike. But in our essence, and as he goes on to say, the truth is the other people is are, you know, they're as real as we are. Think about how that changes the focus of our compassion and our love and how that will douse hate when we realize that every single human being on this planet is as real as I am. They struggle. They're afraid. They're frightened. They love. They have fear. And how that begins to help us manage our disappointment in each other. I'm so disappointed right now in SCOTUS. I'm so disappointed in Clarence Thomas. Like, I don't even think disappointment's the appropriate word. I am wounded. But these are my fellow human beings. I can loathe their decisions, but I can't hate them individually. I cannot like them. I do not like what they stand for. I do not like the egregious backstep of it and the flawed thinking of the decision, but they're human. The people who made the decision in, you know, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson and Dred Scott were human. Doesn't excuse them. Doesn't excuse them. But when I allow myself to glimpse their weakness as people, I don't get so buried in the pain of my disappointment. Just one piece of advice from E.M. McEwen, seeing other people as our selves. And of course, I love sci-fi, so I like this one from Foundation by Isaac Asimov, spoken by the character Salvador Hardin. And it is, never let your, um, your morals prevent you from doing what is right. Never let your morals prevent you or your sense of morals prevent you from doing what is right. Oftentimes, and I have to think about people on the other side of the uh, pro-choice debate, that it's their moral rootedness that makes them think they're right. Right? And I struggle with, if you really believe in pro-life, and I'm getting off the rails here. I apologize in advance. If you're really pro-life, there's so many ways to encapsulate that, you know, better health care spending, equal access to quality education, equal access to, pre, you know, prenatal care. Um, our mortality rate right now is staggeringly high, especially for women of color, African-American women. Work on that. Make it so that the choice to have an abortion is rare. Because there's so many support and so much love out there for the person carrying the unborn and the child once it's born. But the sense of morals, I think, is preventing people from doing what's right. A moral society doesn't put cells before living human beings. I mean, I don't want to go any further into that. But... I think Asimov has a great point there. And other people have verse similar ideas, you know, that our morality often stands in a way of doing what's right. We put a man in jail, like Jean Valjean from Le Miserable, for stealing bread because he's hungry. Well, dang it, 
create a society where no one goes hungry. I mean, these are things like our morality gets turned upside down, right? And of course, Shakespeare. If you've read any Shakespeare, there are a plethora of good source for advice, right? And dealing with relationships and dealing with fathers and sons and daughters and dealing with friendships and dealing with um, kingdoms and the weight of uh, responsibility, all of these things. And so Shakespeare or Shakes has some really good ones. And my favorite, the one that is off quoted is to thy own self be true by Hamlet. And I don't think this is in a sense of put your rightness above other people's rightness. I just think it means know yourself. And once you know yourself, be true to that. Be true to that. And then you won't be misled. You won't be easily um, led away from the things that are right in this world. And we think about people who go astray, who do evil. A lot of times because their sense of who they are is is uh, warped or has been maligned by um, being given too much and being spoiled, right? So we could also do quotes on good parenting um, and things like that. But I just feel like when you begin to know yourself, and guys, I'm of an age where I'm just starting to know this person that I am. All my accumulative experiences are making me more and more true to myself where I care less and less what people think, not in the sense of like right and wrong because I'm part of the community, right? But in the sense of like, dang it, I earned this person. I walked the shoes for this person. I'm going to be true to this person. And whatever advice you give me, it's going to be have to it's going to have to be parsed first through this person that I am right now, who has this lived, real experience and circumstances that I've come through. You can't mislead me. And I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. And if it's not true to who I am, I'm going to let it let it lie. And then another favorite of mine is from Julius Caesar. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant taste death only once. And I look at people. Oh, I mean, you just look at someone who has not been true to themselves, who doesn't know what they are. They'll constantly be Facing small deaths, their character, their word, their reputation, trust, fidelity, honesty will always be in question because they don't know what to believe in. They don't know to whom to be true. And so they're always dying. They're always being sacrificed at the altar of their own ego and not recognizing the importance of their lived experience or trying to please others. Right? I look at someone like Musk, and I'm like, with all your money, with all the good that you can do, why would you wake up on any day and do evil instead? Why? I just, it's unfathomable to me. I cannot wrap my mind around it, except that he doesn't know who he is. 
even with all his billions. He has no idea the good that he could do. He has no idea because he doesn't know who he is. Or, conversely, maybe he does. And this is what we're seeing. Another Toni Morrison quote. Love is never any better than the lover. For those of us who endured love and all of its beauty and all of its pain, we know this to be true. You cannot pedestal someone's love. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. And if it comes with fists and savage words and abuse, it's no good. It's no good. It may be answering that one small part of you, but if the lover's bad, the love is bad. I think that is really sage advice from Toni Morrison. And then if we go to the Bible, of course, Proverbs is full of, well, Proverbs of good advice and wisdom. And I think that for, for those of us who have uh, um, a spiritual bent or a religious bent, we lean to this book because it's so full of wisdom. I mean, it really is wisdom literature if you encapsulate it into a category, especially when you get um, to the New Testament and the parables of Jesus Christ. It is wisdom, right, being transferred to a public that needed this new type of thought process for living. But one of my favorite Proverbs comes from Proverbs 15, 31 through 33, and it's the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. And I think that's really true. We start as young babes with instruction of our parents, our community, and its values are taught to us. And as we get older, we lean to those values. Sometimes we have to give them up because they're the things that are weighing us down, right? But we begin, we begin to parse them. And at that initial stage, we come humbly because we know that we don't know anything, that our elders have really lived. And I remember as a young woman, I loved listening to the older women talk about marriage and, you know, child rearing and life and their struggles and just sitting at their feet to come to glean some understanding of like what gave their lives meaning, right? What ultimately looked back and said, that was good advice and what they were giving to me free. I only had to listen and take it in. Because we have to humble ourselves to listen to good advice. We have to admit that we don't know a whole lot of everything. And there are people out there, whether in our chosen careers, whether in our, um, you know, our spheres of influence, who know things that we need to know to be successful. So we've got to close the mouth, sit at the foot and listen. To humble ourselves. An African proverb from Nigeria says, Not to know is bad, 
not to wish to know is worse. And as an educator, you get this a lot in, in kids. They don't know, and they have no curiosity about knowing. And you have to have a conversation with them about why it's important to ask questions and to seek knowledge for knowledge's sake. And eventually they'll come to the realization that, okay, I, I understand that I don't know everything. And we all go through this stage. Teenagers go through the stage where, and I think it's because adult hypocrisy and fallacy and shenanigans become really clear to the teenage mind and they become disgusted. And so until they have their own fall from grace, it's often hard for them to hear adults because all they see, kind of like Catcher in the Rye, are a bunch of phonies. You're liars. You're phonies. You don't know anything. Everything everything you, you talk about is a lie. Think about kids growing up in the 60s, you know, taught that black was less and having to confront their parents about these teachings and these values, right? But at the same time, taking in the good things that the parents are trying to give them. Think about African-American kids growing up in the same era with the same views of whites as oppressors, as beyond the hope of a righteous God and having to experience and learn that that wasn't true. And so to not know is bad, but to not want to know. And I see that a lot in certain political leanings. The double speak, we call it in the culture, we call it speak out of your neck. When you know what you're saying makes no sense, but you're adhering to a fallacy that has moral and ethical weight for you that you can't let go and that you've rationalized. And it's evil and damaging. Not only to you, but to the nation as a whole. I mean, I'm watching these people daily, almost spitefully revel in their ignorance and their moral depravity and their hypocrisy. And in the sense that they're right. And it's like, a wise man knows that he doesn't know. Only a fool thinks he knows or she knows everything. Interesting. So those are just a few wise tidbits, things that I've gleaned, but I've just read a really wonderful book. Um... And I'm not sure if it's really YA lit. I don't think its purpose is to be YA lit. The author says it took him 35 years to to write it. But the title is D, A Tale of Two Worlds. And at first I wasn't very impressed because the main character is um, a young orphan from Somaliland. And the writer is a white male. And I I had this gap between, um, and here here is my arrogance as a reader-writer, um, a reluctance to read things that are parsed through certain lenses, right? Because, um, you know, 
to justify myself, I guess. Um, I want I want it straight from the source, right? Instead of having um, things written by uh, outsiders, in a sense, there are enough voices inside and at the margins who could talk about what that margin is really like. It doesn't have to be interpreted through, uh, you know, a, a centered person, pretty much. But um, I'm glad to know that I was wrong. And um, could it have been better if the lensing had been different? Yes, definitely. But was it good? Did I glean a lot from it? Yes, definitely. Because I don't think writers really choose the voices that come. You know, I kind of hold this writer's mystique that the characters that come to you and sit down with you come unbidden and without invitation. And so um, I was, you know, kind of excoriating myself for having this hoity-toity idea that, uh, what could he possibly have to say about this? But he rendered her human and, um, and enjoyable. So anyway, just a little bit of advice tonight. And, you know, of course, email me your good advice. Email me the things that have gotten you through. Email me the worst advice you've ever gotten. Maybe I'll, you know, coordinate that somehow and, you know, get it all together. And we'll do a podcast on the worst advice I ever received. And when I listen to it, this is what happens. So tell me the advice you got. If you listen to it. What was the result? Tonight's intro was uh, Ella Fitzgerald. My mama done told me. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful jazz song. You probably have seen it in Bugs Bunny commercials rendered. Not as well. But it is a wonderful blues song, jazz song with the queen, Ella Fitzgerald. Thank you for tuning in. Guys, keep your emails coming. Keep your messages coming. Keep subscribing and liking and sharing it. We're on Facebook now. <laughs> so you can late night with White, uh, with White at Facebook. We're there. We're trying to just slowly kind of, you know, get everything. So Facebook, then there'll be an Insta, then there'll be a Finsta, then there'll be a Twitter, all the things, Snapchat. But we're just taking our time um, and experimenting, seeing what gets us the best results. Because ultimately, it's also about community building, right? I like hearing from you guys. I like the feedback. I like the emails that I've gotten and received, the criticisms, um, the suggestions, the notices. Everything works to make the podcast better. And yes, Someone's been saying, you don't advertise. You could, you could, uh, I mean, I do advertise for the platform, um, but we don't do, you know, um, small business advertisements like that. But we do have some in, in the works. It's just making sure that we do it in the appropriate manner. Um, it also requires a little bit uh, more tighter scripting because we want to keep it under that 25, 30 minute, you know, um, time limit so that as you're fading off to sleep you're not really missing anything <laughs> right if you have to rewind you only miss five minutes and it's me thanking my my listeners and you know the hubbub of finishing the episode and um you know hopefully it's helped you do the one thing we all want to do which is unwind at night late at night
Thank you guys for listening and have a good night.